Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hillier. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train, educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness, to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a wide spectrum of topics, including training, coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at the MyFit Podcast and subscribe to his newsletter at djhillier.com. So let's get to it. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is DJ Hillier and you are listening to episode 198 of the MyFit Podcast. In this week's episode, I chat with psychologist, author, podcaster, and speaker, Dr. Sheree Campbell about how to deal with toxic family members. Dr. Sherry has spent the past two decades providing counseling and psychotherapy services to her clients in Orange County, California, and she's used her own experience and expertise to help people cut ties with toxic people. Dr. Sherry has written five books, including her bestseller, Cutting Ties with Toxic Family Members and Loving Yourself in the Aftermath. This is one of those episodes that won't hit big for everybody, but will hit really big for a specific group of people. As a podcast host, I've been fortunate enough to build a platform where people can come and learn from some of the world's best thinkers and doers. And it's been my mission from day one to have the difficult conversations and help spread the message of subjects that are deemed as taboo by our culture. This is why I bring on people like Rachel Balkovich to talk about her journey in becoming Major League Baseball's first ever female manager, or Molly Galbraith, author of Strong Women Lift Each Other Up, or Matthias Barker to talk about understanding your trauma, or Dr. BJ Miller to talk about death and how to deal with it. And this week's episode with Dr. Sherry will be right up with the rest of them. In this episode, expect to learn how do you define toxic and how does it get developed? Can you change toxic family members? What's the difference between toxic and flawed? What are some strategies that we can set up to set up some boundaries with our toxic family members? Why is silence our superpower? What's the cost in every relationship that we have, both romantic and platonic? talked about saying no, the power of saying no to set up your boundaries. We talked about adjusting your expectations for the people around you. And we closed down by discussing the difference between living a life of happiness, not just relief. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave a rating, review, and share it on your social medias. Your five-star feedback helps the show grow tremendously and helps to bring on more amazing guests like Dr. Sherry. Thank you guys. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's get after it. Let's go. My Fit Podcast is brought to you by Element. Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means lots of salt with no sugar. Element is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited to folks following a keto, low-carb, or paleo diet. Element contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio of 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. With none of the junk, no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, and no BS. Healthy hydration isn't just about drinking water. It's about water plus electrolytes. And it makes sense. You lose both water and sodium when you sweat. So both need to be replaced to prevent things like muscle cramps, headaches, and energy dips. There are several flavors to choose from. My favorite is the citrus salt, which is how I start every single day. And as listeners of the MyFit Podcast, you can now receive a free Element sample pack with any order by using the link www.drinkelement.com forward slash MyFit. Again, that's www.drinkelement.com forward slash M-I-F-I-T. Go get yours now. Dr. Sherry, welcome to the MyFit Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on today. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, today we're going to step out of my comfort zone a little bit and we're going to talk about some real stuff. And I heard a quote a long time ago that what's most personal is most universal. And uh, looking at some of your reviews and feedback and the 
comment I hear most, Dr. Sherry, is that people say, I finally feel heard. I finally feel like somebody wrote a book for me, or in your case, several books. So I'm hoping that although this might be a little bit different from the usual conversations, I think it's really going to hit with a lot of people because it's not something that gets talked about uh, very often. No, my topic is off topic. (laughs) It's people don't even want to step near it because it's it's going up against a cultural norm that has been indoctrinated into us. So one of the main words that gets used a lot in your writing is the word toxic. And everybody kind of has a different view or a different image when they hear the word toxic. I want to go to the expert first. Tell me what is toxicity? How does it get developed? Um, just kind of let's get some definitions out there first to set the table. So unfortunately, toxic and now is just overused, and that's unfortunate. Um, if you really want to know what toxic is, I would look up the Cluster B personality disorders online. Very easy to find. Um, there's five or six of them. And when you are a toxic person, if you're diagnosably, let's say, narcissistic, you're actually going to have character traits of all the other ones. Right? So we've got borderline, histrionic, dependent, antisocial, passive-aggressive, personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, antisocial. Okay. So if you're diagnosably one, you're going to have traits of all. When you put that all together, you have a really selfish, self-unaware, low EQ, controlling, abusive, manipulative person who cares about winning, not love, not connection, not, not anything. And there are parents Yes, there are parents that are like this. There's siblings that are like this. There are grandparents that are like this. And um, as a culture, we have a hard time accepting that it can exist in the family. We can accept it everywhere else, but not in the family. Is there a difference between narcissism and toxicity? No. No. So narcissism is inherently selfish it's competitive, it's dehumanizing. Um, Any one of them is going to land in um, toxicity because there's a a lack of care for how you treat someone, whether you're histrionic, whether you're passive aggressive, or whether you're dependent and you're clinging and clutching and what that does to another human being's life. It's just based in self-centeredness rather than self-awareness. And a lot of your book is diving into, like you talked about a little bit just now on family members. And for uh, a lot of people out there, they don't experience this, but there's even more people out there that do experience this. I think I read in your book or researching for this, that one in four people have reported to have a toxic family member. Does that sound right? One in four people have cut off from their parents. One in four at some point over their life, depending on, you know, toxicity, I would say is on a continuum right? But one in four adult children choose to cut off from their parents. I would love to break down some experiences or some examples. I'm thinking that some people might think, man, my parents aren't toxic. Maybe toxic is a, is a, is a really aggressive word, but you could throw, probably throw out some examples and maybe just maybe they are. So do you have some examples of what that could look like? Oh gosh, I have a billion. Um, I, I am amongst the 14% that um, have two toxic parents. So my father was tickling me when I was seven and I accidentally kicked him. Imagine when you get tickled, you kind of flail around. And he punched me in the face to get me back. So I don't really like to be tickled anymore. Uh, first bloody nose of mine was because I got tickled and I squirmed and he, he accused me of hitting him. So I told him he could hit me back. And then he told me that if I told anyone, he would go to jail and it would be my fault. Or it's my mom telling me that the number one cause of teenage suicide is um, parental divorce as she was on her fourth marriage. You know, it's often overt where I'm getting physically abused or it's covert and it's so savage and you can't you can't confront it, you know, because if I would say, well, why would you tell me that? You've been married four times. She'd be like, oh, God, I can't tell you anything. You take everything so personal. You're so self-centered. 
And I couldn't make my abuse real. I couldn't make anything real. And so you're so dumbfounded. You're so head spun. And then you have to carry the brunt of, I don't know, maybe I'm too sensitive. When she says, don't worry, honey, someone will marry you. I can't prove her tone of voice. And then you go to talk to someone about it and you get a secondary abuse of, oh, she didn't mean it that way. She's your mom. You know, she loves you. Okay, well, that feels like nothing like love. This woman has hated me since the day I came out of her. And I don't have any control over that. Uh, but she made it me. She made me believe I was the abuser. Is there a difference between toxic and flawed? I would say that we're all flawed. I think we can all have traits of having selfish moments or we say the word whatever and that's passive aggressive or we have those moments. But when we have a moment, we tend to feel something inside about that moment, like a guilt where we have a conscience and we feel compelled to go to the person that we were just an asshole to. And we're like, wow, I'm really sorry that I had such a bad tone of voice and I took that out on you and I just want to own it so that you don't feel bad anymore. And it's not you, it's me. You know, this is what healthy people do. They, they want clarity between themselves and another and uh, toxic people want chaos. They thrive on chaos. The more off balance they can give you, the easier you are to influence. Well, if you're a child, I mean, how hard is that to take advantage of a child? It would seem that the need base would be stronger coming from a child to a parent. Do you believe that, and a lot of this is some softball questions here to start, but can toxic family members change? Absolutely not. How can you change without self-awareness? And then if you don't value self-awareness, then why would you go to therapy? I've had plenty of toxic people walk into my office because someone else dragged them there. And then they're all great as long as it's all cast at the person who brought them there. But the second the therapy shifts, I'm being threatened to be sued. I suck at my job. They're going to write a letter to the board. I mean, it's insane, which to which they never do those things. But they don't, the real patient never gets treated. They're above reproach, you know, so you can't make someone want insight if they don't value it. Uh, they also don't recognize that they don't have insight. And so it just allows them to continue getting away with being how they are because they don't really care about how anyone else feels or the consequences of what they've done. They only care about how you make them feel. And so there is no way to help these people. Lots of experts would love to believe that there's hope in everybody and they carry out this fantasy that puts this back into this cultural myth that uh, there's good in everybody. There is not good in everyone. If that's not being expressed and there's no interest in the good, if there's a mustard seed of good, but they don't care, then there is not good in everybody. If it's not activated, it means nothing. And there's this uh, preconceived notion, I guess, could be, could be culturally speaking, that, hey, it's your mom, hey, it's your dad, or you know, they're family. And you kind of, they get second, third, fourth, maybe even 300th chances because the culture kind of sets it up to be that way of, you know, you don't, you don't leave your family. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I did this for 45 years. This isn't cancel culture. People get a little bit confused anymore because we live in such a hypocritical sort of narcissistic culture anymore. You say one thing someone doesn't like, and if you're not keeping up with their labels and, and their new thing, then you're just, you know, you're shit. I mean, that's how this culture is working. This took me 45 years. I was as afraid to be alone as I was afraid to leave my family. If anyone thinks that this is fun, or easy, or it's not painful once you cut ties, that's a lie. You know, the most important social group you can belong to is your family. But if you have a limb that is rotting and it's causing you incredible pain that you, that you cannot function, at some point, you will be willing to get rid of that limb to have relief. I didn't think about happiness as a kid ever. 
thought about relief. So at some point, the limb became unbearable. And I had a child at that point, and I was like, not going to let it go down onto her. And in a situation, they were trying to use my ex-husband and my daughter to be harmful toward me. And I had to cut ties. I didn't want to. I had to. So culture then becomes the judgment just becomes a far greater it's just a lesser pain. If you're willing to face this kind of backlash, that's why my first book is called, But It's Your Family. Oh my God, if I have another person tell me some story of theirs with their family member that did X, Y, or Z, then you know what? That family member was capable of doing that. Don't project your story onto me that mine are. I also question this. We can call out horrible abuses everywhere. We watch Will Smith, who we all love, hit the shit out of Chris Rock mm -hmm. publicly. This is all okay. People didn't like it, but it's all okay. Larry Nassar. We don't expect those gymnasts to be in good standing with Larry Nassar because he's an amazing doctor. Okay, we we but if it's your family. Why am I expected to be in good standing with my abuser? What, because of a label? Because of the label of family? And that if I'm not in good standing with my abuser, then I'm bad. But anywhere else, if a preacher's molesting a boy, we don't expect that boy to be in good standing with a man of God. It makes no sense, logically. And so that is what survivors go through. And there's lots of experts that write on this topic, but I'm the only one writing on my experience as a survivor rather than coming from an expert point of view only. I just have both. I got so tired of reading books that would just relabel me. Well, you were raised like this. So now you're this kind of person. I don't need another label. <laughs> it's like, I'm good. Um, and that label, having that label, how does this heal me? I just now know more of my dysfunction, and yet I should keep one tether to the vein of my abuse and find love outside my family. Okay. Well, that's kind of a tall order to ask another human being to step in and be my family. They can't do that. I love lots of people. I call them my family, <laughs> my friends, and you know, but I don't expect them to heal the wounds that they didn't create. And I've learned the hard way that they can't do that anyway. So there's so much pressure, and this is why it's not talked about. Another piece I've heard, I've, I've heard you uh, talk to in a couple podcasts as I prepare for this was that sometimes toxicity uh, is hard to explain. You talked about yours is very easy to explain. You're punched in the face, you're abused that way. Sometimes, if I'm just alluding to what you've said in other podcasts, hopefully you can illuminate it a little bit today, is sometimes it's just a feeling. You leave the person's house and you just don't feel good. It's something internal. And even if you were to talk to your spouse or somebody else about it, it, it can be difficult to put into words, Dr. Sherry. So talk to me a little about how does toxicity show up maybe in more minor ways and it's more internal and it's not, I'm getting my face beat. We know when we're being treated bad. We know. You know, we don't just pay attention to words. We pay attention to slight changes in body language. We pay attention to how something sounds. We're paying attention to how something feels. And I think passive abuse is so much harder. My mother was so much harder. She's running charities for cancer kids and burned kids. And um, my brother and I were both very elite athletes. And then she's running golf tournaments on his professional career. And she's doing all these things for these kids. And I came home to a home devil who hated me. And I couldn't prove it. I couldn't make it real. I, I didn't have a way to make it real because I'd get gaslit. I'd get projected on. Then her image was so powerful that, you know, I'm sure today there are many people that just think my books are a lie, you know, because that image of her is so powerful and that's okay with me. But when you struggle to make your abuse real, it is because it just isn't going to be acknowledged, not only by the person who's abusing you, but also by culture at large. Moms can't ab abuse. She's your mom. 
but the wonderful unique feat of procreation i mean is this like unique to her i mean we really can all do it i mean people who smoke crack can have babies so why are we honoring her because she got pregnant and had a child so it's like children know on a passive level she had me she didn't want me and because she treated my brother so well it just made my isolation even more profound because he was just this big star and and i was introverted and i was you know broken and i was experiencing all the effects and he was just focused i know i know what he's like uh, behind closed doors and i know what he's turned into it's not a good look okay but it's just image based so when your experience doesn't match your image you can't find any way to prove yourself and we know inside we know but we can't make it real that is so hard oh. i'd rather be punched in my face right honestly you, yep yep i would rather be punched in my face i'd rather him call me a fucking prick on the first day of college because i couldn't talk to him at the time that he called right all that so out there and it's violent and it makes sense right but my mom's abuse was far more destructive of me because i couldn't make it real no one would believe me yeah so interesting tell me a little bit about what happens in your experience you have a practice and we uh i've heard you talk about you know the people that come into therapy they're, they're there because they're there for because of somebody else right it's never the person i have <laughs> never treated an unhealthy person Isn't i'll tell you i've been trained with far more crazy therapists going through a phd than i've ever worked with crazy people because they're all in there like is it me am i crazy Look, how do i deal with this my husband's doing this or my dad like recently i have a girl she's 26 and she looked at her phone for two minutes at the dinner table she's a real estate agent her dad lit up that she's disrespectful to her family she needs to have all those phone calls wait and she's like i'm 26 and um it has been an all-out war and i told her let them win your words don't matter we're gonna have to liberate you in a different way because parents like this look at obedience as respect that's that's what that is well when i looked up the definition of respect because i have no idea what it is i was blown away I, it says holding someone in high esteem and treating them with you know like love due to their unique qualities you admire their abilities and i was like wow no idea what and i wouldn't have labeled that respect i would label that love or leadership or some other things but that's how disoriented we are with this miss guided demand for respects is obedience it is nothing they don't care about how you feel they care about how you act that makes no sense that makes no sense to me you're not going to create a child who loves you you're going to create a child who fears you something else that can happen is when you have toxic parents you're raising a kid that ends up becoming toxic and then Tell me a little bit about what can happen then. Is it, does it show up in the dating world? Does it show up when they have kids? How does it affect us? Maybe we're in our teenage and we're like, you know, we can handle this, we're fine. But how is this setting us up for failure down the road? It can do two ways. You're either going to become very much the controlling, affair having, your kids can't outshine you. It's all about punishment and fear. Um, the, the most toxic parent is the least confronted because they're so scary. Um, and they, they can become that, which isn't a good look. It's very overtly toxic. Or <laughs> you can become like I was, which I think that I was toxic to myself. So some kids grew up toxic to others. I grew up toxic to myself. I believed that if I pleased people, I had the power to change their behavior. Well, that didn't really work out that well. 
I just kept getting used and abused and I kept placating and pleasing and over-functioning, over-sharing, over-worrying. I mean, I made myself sick because I just wanted love. And I thought if I was nice and I was trying to be good and I'd obey and I would sacrifice myself and make myself useful, that that would somehow transform into me being lovable. Um, I just don't have the heart of an abuser. I don't, it's not in me. Thank God that I didn't become the overt abuser because then that that sibling or child will carry down the generational trauma. But I I think there's something genetic maybe about survival. And I think I have good genes for that. Thank God. Because I think had I stayed stuck in that system, I never would have known me. I wouldn't have found me. I had to neglect me to please my parents. It had to be self-neglect to give them respect. And it just doesn't make any sense. And it never made sense. And I've kind of had this sort of high-level spirit about me, but with the immaturity of a child, and I couldn't figure any of it out. Mm. And when I cut ties, I didn't have it figured out. I just had to cut the limb off. I just wanted relief. It's been since then that I've sort of written myself back into existence, into the storyline that I always knew was in there. And I had little things throughout childhood that sort of pushed me to the next level, to the next place. Stuffed animals became my family. Uh, Annie, little orphan Annie, she was such a badass and I wanted to be her so bad because I had the heart of an orphan. But I was forced to live with my perpetrators, right? So I just had this incredible fantasy life um, that I think saved my life in so many ways. And so I think we've got a really good understanding of what toxicity is and what it looks like. Now, what I want to get into is a little bit of some of the strategies, some of the concepts, some of the things that you really get into in your book. So let's say somebody's listening, Dr. Sharon, they're going, man, this is me. Um, you know, Maybe I'm in my 30s or whatever age it could be. And I, I'm not ready to cut ties completely, but I want to set up boundaries. Talk to me about boundaries. What are some strategies? Where, where do you kind of direct people? Okay. So I don't know if people are going to be familiar with Stranger Things on your show, but I grew up in the upside down. Okay. And I'm forced to live in the right side up. So I tried all the right side up things. I read all the books on boundaries and it gave me this idea that if I set a boundary on someone, that I have the ability to control on some level their behavior in my life. And that is true in the right side up. If I'm like, hey, DJ, listen, what you did was really shitty and I don't like it and it made me feel like this, you'd be like, ooh, so sorry, Dr. Sherry, I did not mean that. I, I will work on that. I will look at that. And so and in some way, we really do have a little bit of control over what has access to us or not. Well, in the upside down, um, toxic people are very allergic to boundaries and can't wait for you and to try and set them because it's a competition. So what happens is you set a boundary and they're like, oh, so that's where she hurts. Cool. Got it. Check. The more you tell them about what you feel, the more revealing you are of your vulnerabilities and they start crossing those boundaries like crazy. And then I get people going, Doc, listen, <laughs> the boundary thing isn't working. I'm like, yeah, it's because you're in the upside down. It doesn't work that way there. So on the right side up, you have other control, control of the other with your boundary, some level of it, right? In the upside down, when they intentionally cross your boundary, silence is your superpower. Okay, they're going to listen in a sadistic way to what hurts you so they know where to go to use your own wounding as a dagger to stab you in your hurt places, to provoke you into conflict, to then do reactive abuse. Your reaction now is the only thing that cares that they care about how mean you are to them, deleted what they just did, gaslight you, and you're like, what? 
What? So you can't do healthy things in the upside down and expect a healthy result. You have to do things backward in that world. Mm-hmm. And this silence is what is I'm your, Silence is a superpower. I like it. Yeah. Silence is a superpower. They want your, attex- your attention and your emotional reaction. They want you berating them over their flagrant abusive behavior. Because as long as all your focus is on them, that's attention enough for them and they like it. What about the situations, Dr. Sherry, where it's somebody that, I don't know, maybe you're you're gonna you're gonna see them on holidays, right? It's a distant cousin or something like that. And you know, three times a year you're gonna see them at a holiday. Is it is it still sounds a superpower? What are your thoughts on that? Where you're not you're not gonna cut the tie because you know what, here's the deal. We gotta see each other three times a year. It's just how it is. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna teach you about gray rocking. Please do. Okay. Gray rocking is becoming the most boring rock in the pile. So when I go, when I was connected to my family, um, I did started off with low contact. I just sort of told them less. Um, I gray rocked them a lot. So if, if I got a phone call from my mother, I would, she really only wanted an audience anyway. So it wasn't that hard. I just became the most boring rock in the pile. If she asked about me, I'd give a two snippets and then I'd be like, but what about you? And they love attention. So they're like, oh, so, you know, so gray rocking is just a lot of listening. So it looks like people pleasing, to be honest. But because your mindset is different, I think psychologically, it's a completely different space to be in because you're doing it from strategy and you're not doing it from fear. So you have a sense of power over your world. And it's so honestly, it's it's sort of fun because you get to really watch them reveal themselves as what you think they are too. So there's this validating thing that happens when you gray rock. Uh, Gray rocking, depending on how advanced your toxic family member is, will run out though, because they they pick up on that they're not getting this conflict that they want. You know, so if you only see someone three times a year, it's not hard to gray rock at all. it's just like letting the daggers <laughs> like fly over your head and just keep putting, putting it back. And they tend to think, oh, my God, I had the best conversation because it was all about them, right? So otherwise, I would do a lot of avoidance. I would use your body. I always say use your feet and shut your mouth. So if you have a really horrible, toxic family member that you know is going to try to corral you into a corner, um, what I do, if I see them coming and I'm face to face, I'll give them a hip and a shoulder. And as they get closer to me, then I just slightly turn and they get in my back and I just walk in a new direction, right? And when you're only there for a certain amount of hours, that's not hard to do. But you'll see they're so in tune with manipulation that they start to pick up on it. So when they start to then want to have this, they'll they'll start chasing you. Then you have to really immediately go to the bathroom like, oh, sorry, I need to cut this short. I need to use the restroom. Also stay busy help with the dishes, help with whatever, help with someone in their baby, you know, just stay distracted so that you use, you're using your feet a lot instead of your words. Cause your words aren't going to, words don't matter to these people. So use your feet. Two other things that I find consistent among toxic people that I've run into in my life. One of them is that drama continues to follow them. They always have drama yes. to either talk about and they're kind of that victim mentality. Oh, the always. Second- the second one is um, that conversations seem to, and you alluded to this a little bit, conversations seem to always be about them. Rarely does a toxic person, in my experience, ask, how are you? What's going on in your life? There's not really a reciprocal there. So drama or conversation or both. Can you talk about one of those? Oh, all of it. Yes. Um, they are the center of the universe, right? And they're always looking for their reflection in your eyes. You know, that's always about the mirror, right? Narciss- the narcissist falls in love with this reflection in the pond and falls in and drowns. Okay. That's the irony of it. Um, wherever they touch down, they destroy lives, but they are so resilient in picking up, leaving all those people behind. Like, I don't care about those people because they don't. And they land somewhere else and they touch down again. So they're moving a lot. They don't get better though. Um, their lives don't improve. So over time, they they end up, 
it does come around. I, I've seen some interesting things in the last uh, seven years of karma coming around that I never thought I'd see, but they're the center of the universe. And so honestly, what I learned in the upside down is let them think they've won, let them be at the center. And that helps me stay safe. I had to do that to survive when I was with them because I didn't have the finances to have my own life as a child. So I learned that skill set. And uh, but if you're married to someone like this or you have to be around them, that's not a sustainable way of life for you unless you just really don't want to live your best life. Right. Let them go. It's so hard because you're so head spun because um, it's always been about them that you've lost yourself. So when they're gone, you don't even know how to be about you. You've like lost the skill. But what happens is superficially you're around someone, they're annoying. They're loud. They tend to be loud. They want to interrupt. You're just like, oh my God. Like, okay, well, let's go to parenting. Do you know how many times I heard don't talk back? Okay, well, talking back would re would I guess indicate a two-person conversation. So it's no wonder I wasn't allowed to talk back. Me having an opinion or standing for myself was considered disrespectful. I wasn't allowed to talk back. So narcissists are consuming. They're like a freaking vacuum. They just suck the energy. We can't wait to get away from these types of people. Where, where does kill it with kindness come into play on this? Is there just something that that's, you just play that card too? It's like, look, we're just going to be super kind and we're going to have a smile on our face, love in our heart. And, and we're just going to, that's what we're going to do. You can be super kind. You can have um, a smile on your face and you can have no love in your heart for these people. So I'll, <laughs> I'll say that you don't need to love them. It doesn't make you bad if you don't. The bottom line is this. Well, let me put it this way. You don't need to like them. I love my family. This isn't a hate thing for me. It was a relief thing for me. But I'll tell you this, though. I don't like them. And I don't respect them. What I have found is that love itself, the highest form of love, right, is it's like it can regenerate over and over and over and over and over. It's 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 pretty amazing. But respect, once that's lost, that is gone. If you lose respect for somebody, you don't get that back. And if you don't respect someone, you don't like them. If you don't like them, you don't trust them. If you don't trust them, you don't want to be around them. So that's really how it works. It's not like, eh, I'm cutting ties. It's, wow, your mask fell off and I don't respect you. I don't respect you. I, I don't like you. And that's what happens is we feel like revulsion when we're around someone that we don't respect. Respect is so much more powerful or meaningful in the big picture than love when it comes to connection. Um respect is the is the real deal if you don't respect someone you don't want to be around them so true as i was preparing for this i caught a dr phil episode on toxic people and it was really cool to hear him say this he said you need to ask yourself what is the cost of this relationship what's the cost and this could be a romantic it could be a platonic whatever what's the cost every he says every relationship has a cost if it's costing you to change who you are you can't do what you do because you must conform to what they want you to be then the cost is not worth it right if the cost is hey it's a monday nights we get together so it's costing me a little time it's way different right so analyzing and starting to think to yourself, because I think what's going to happen is people are going to listen to this. They're going to start thinking about their own lives, Dr. Sherry, and they're going to think, you know, well, who is toxic? Who isn't? How do I know? And I think one of the good questions you can ask yourself is, well, what's the cost of, of this relationship? What are your thoughts on that? So my, my, my whole life was, an, was mental gymnastics of trying to negotiate how I'd get a need met. So was it worth the cost? What kind of consequences was I going to get? Okay, so I'm doing this at seven. You know, it's like I'm I'm trying to figure out how I level up and get my need met. And most of the time, I'm like, eh, it wasn't worth the cost. I was too scared. Okay, so when we live in fear, because that's what toxic parents, I think they think fear is love because fear makes us do what they want. And doing what they want 
means they're loved somehow. I mean, they don't think about giving love to us. They really don't. They they think more about us giving love to them, which is so backwards, right? Because in, in the right side up, children, the more vulnerable child has rights just due to the inherent vulnerability. And parents who chose to bring the child into the world have obligations. Like if, if you choose to do something, it's your choice. You're obligated to kind of do the thing, right? Because you chose it. Well, in the upside down, parents have rights and children have obligations. That's odd, right? So what you will feel, and I talk about this, I just signed a new book deal. So that's really exciting. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. And I talk about addition and subtraction. If a relationship is subtracting from you all the time, this is a toxic relationship, at least for you. You don't need other people's approval of what, talk, what, of what toxic is for you. If someone is robbing you of your life and liveliness, you personally, okay, my mom, I don't know my brother so twisted that I don't know, but I would imagine what I know watching him in private, he got a lot of addition for the image, like for the felt board, right? But I, 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 he's empty internally, became somewhat famous for the sport that he was in. And then when that sport ended, he's like, oh, like, who am I now? So he always has to have this audience because he was loved for performance, not person. I have compassion for him. I, it's sad how he's turned out, but in my opinion, but you'd never know. He's wildly successful, but I know what's what I, I know other things. Okay. So I feel like when everything is subtraction and it's threat based, then that's not healthy. How can something threat based be healthy? Or it's, it, let's get out of family for a minute and go to husband and wives. Every time she does something wrong, a patient of mine, her husband's like, I'm done. I'm done. She's like, oh, you know, they've got kids and they go, oh, and she's like, is he done? Is he really done? I mean, this is threat-based coercive abuse. So guess what? Parents do it too. Another uh, piece I think that I would imagine, again, I'm nowhere near an expert on this stuff, but I think one of the things that we talk about boundaries has got to be the ability to say no. I think a lot of people out there are having a tough time and it could, it could, it could even be very basic. Do you want to come over? Yes, no. It's simple stuff obviously could get way more complex. What are your thoughts on just being able to set up general boundaries? Maybe it's just super soft surface level, but just getting better at saying no, where does that come into play? I think just start there, you know, start what, what I realized. So I was parentified. In other words, I ended up parenting the parents by request. Like I'm going through my third divorce and I was going to her attorney appointments for her. She was asking me to confront him for her to make him feel bad for what he, I did it. A little 20 year old should never have been in that role. So at some point you need to step back and just don't even use your words. Just be unavailable. Be more unavailable in small increments. Get these little small wins. Then you work up to saying no. Now, this may never work with your parents, but you can work on this in all of your other relationships. Like I used to be like, I'm sorry, 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 I'm sorry that I walked by you. I'm sorry that. So I had to get out of this reflexive, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I exist. You know, I got into, um, hey, Sherry, can you go out tonight? It used to be, oh my God, I'm so sorry, I can't, you know? Um, to unfortunately, I'm, I've got plans that night. It's just changing your language. Language is life. Language is life. And I love words and I love writing. It's, it's just where I find myself and I write myself into existence. And I encourage all of you to just, just write. If it's not your thing, find a different thing, but write yourself into existence. Who are you? Right. And what are your rights? You don't always have to use your words. See, in the right side up, all boundaries come from words. Well, in the upside down, it's silence and using your feet. 
do less, avoid more, but know that you're doing it for yourself preservation rather than I'm avoiding the conflict and I'm so scared to say no and all the things. Mm. Listen, if your words didn't work in the relationship, they're not going to work out. There's other ways than words to empower yourself. Another piece that I think has got to be big on this is just your, your general expectations. I heard a quote recently that said, don't expect a pint person to love on a gallon level. I was just like, man, I think sometimes we just get to this point of toxic people where you know, we have high expectations. And you want to just say, you know, why, why do you expect so much out of this person when they haven't ever filled your plate or filled your cup the way you should? And I think sometimes we set our own selves up for failure because we have such high expectations of others. And I'm not saying for everybody because you don't want to live a life of no expectations, of course, but I think you can kind of protect yourself a little bit. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Sherry, about let's just lower the expectations of whoever we're talking about. Right. So outside of the parental relationship, I 100% agree. But see, what what I know to be true is that I deserved gallons of love from the people who chose to bring me into this world. I didn't choose them. So society and that choice alone would, would, there would be an assumed desire and a, and a, and a, biological need for me to have that. So what happens to people like me is that we start thinking, huh, there's like no gallons. I don't even know that there's a liter. <laughs> you know, it's like I I there's a drop maybe of conditional kindness I get when they're trying to manipulate me to do something for them. So then we give them gallons of love. We take over as the need meter. We become the parent and we think if we love them enough and we're good enough and we're doing the things enough that, that they're going to snap into it and be like, oh, that's why I had this child. So I was the emotional slave. I was the emotional janitor. And so then I had this habit of thinking I could love people into loving me or I could please them into loving me. And, you know, of course, I chose those that had not even a leader, you know, so I had to break that habit. I had to get to know people differently in other words at first in my little cute young life i would like like warn everybody okay <laughs> you're gonna date me here's the deal i'm fucked up okay i came from this and this and that and i have these issues and da, da 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 and here i'm telling this to a raging narcissist and i get worked and i go to break up and they're like oh well, i guess if someone's not perfect you just break up with them you just cut ties and i'm like <laughs> What did I just do to myself? So I studied love from anthropology. Okay. I studied it from a different view because I was like, I not understand how I keep landing here. Um, Cause I knew I was a good person and I was a, a phenomenal lover of others. It's that I didn't know how to love me. I mean, we define our lovability by how we're loved by these two people. Mom defines who we are and dad values how we are. So I don't have who or how. So I just knew I had to do, I had to be useful in the things. So I learned that the first 18 months of any new relationship, you cannot tell the difference in a brain scan of someone high on cocaine and someone newly in love. So I thought, well, I better make it through the first 18 <laughs> and then see if I like them the second 18. And that's why I tell my patients three years. Don't, don't be don't be pregnant and having babies in like six months. Like, you know, you don't even know the person. You don't know their uglies. You don't know their noises. You, you don't know what triggers. You don't know how they're going to treat you. So I've become very successful in understanding my brain as well. I stopped oversharing and almost like getting the warning out of the way. People have to earn my love now. Respect is learned, therefore it must be earned as well. And I'm I'm a phenomenal parent because I just love her. I get this, I don't want to be like my mom. You know, what do I do? What do I do? And I'm like, stop focusing on the being the mom part and just focus on loving your kid. You're, you're going to be so focused on on the mom part that, I mean, 
the relationship should be about your child, not your relationship with your mom. So just focus on loving her. If you really love someone, you cannot abuse them. Right? So it's just taking a hold. <laughs> the upside down is just very different. Right? And I think it's a gift to be putting it into this world because if 40% of us are in the upside down, it's no wonder things are high divorce rate and all the things. What are your thoughts, Dr. Sherry, when something uh, traumatic happens and it brings about toxicity? I'm thinking about, let's say, um, a grandparent passes away and then the siblings sometimes bring, it brings out some narcissism or some toxicity, but usually it's, it's sprung because of an event like that. What are your thoughts on something like that? So I have seen so much of this in my office. Well, money becomes the issue. Okay. It's not really that the grandparent died. When siblings go to war, that's because whoever the grandparent was had some level of a conquer and divide going on between these siblings. Okay. So when the only thing that connected them was the parent and they could connect in peace for that parent, maybe totally unconscious to how all this has gone on, but you start to see the, the, the toxicity of the family when all the siblings all turn against one or this one was left as the executor and that's not fair and they go to war and it's all over money. So the greatest God that a toxic parent worships is the God of green printed paper. And the reason they worship the God of green paper is because it allows them to play God. Money equates to ownership, power, control. You know, I got to be honest at Leaving my family was no different than the research I've done on leaving a cult. You are smeared. They tried to destroy your life and destroy your support system. They cut you out of wills, trusts. Um, they are telling lies everywhere you turn to get you to come back. Like they think this is what the most shocking thing for me was first, the depth and the breadth and the length and the dramatics of the smear campaign have been shocking. Holy shit. I just didn't even know. I mean, I was like, oh my God. Wow. Like this is scary. I mean, truly scary. So you got to hold on really tight. I stayed in what I, I call in the new book, no man's land for a couple of years, just trying to survive the tidal wave. And it's so scary that it is tempting to get relief from that. So you get relief from this to land in this, but I was able to work through and I detail this in the new book. It's coming 2024. It's a while out, but is that it's still the same limb. You know, it's, narcissistic people they don't reinvent there's no reinvention there's no healing there's no leveling up it's they just keep telling the same lies over and over and they just tell them bigger and scarier but they don't reinvent so i had to figure that out because i'm like ah they're not like reinventing themselves actually there's nothing new here they're just telling the same lies and then after a couple of years, it wasn't quite as scary. Interesting stuff, man. There's a lot in here. So what I've learned is that we can't change our toxic family members. Silence is power. Uh, you need to understand what is the cost of all the relationships that you're in. Um, and we need to be able to look out for ourselves and be able to set those boundaries. Is there anything else as we close down? I really like to give my listeners as we close down, what are maybe a couple things that they can think about or go do just some homework almost? I would really read, write, um, but I would I would really consider what your definition of happiness is. And if you're going to escape, you may as well be a goat. Greatest of all time. Be great at something. Be great at being you. Figure out how to do that. Practice good character. Practice motivation. Practice composure. Practice self-love practice these things when you tell a survivor like me like oh just love yourself it's so flippant and offensive um and also be prepared for gaps in understanding between yourself and others who don't have quite your level of trauma 
they can say things that they mean well and it is just such a stab in your gut like i i you know people will say stuff like well i mean it's only one person everyone else loves you well that one person is my mom <laughs> so it's actually big but i know what you're trying to say and i know you love me and you don't have to just get like oh they're so insensitive listen be happy people don't have all this trauma but be patient you know uh with them and also turn your insecurities into superpowers that's been my my whole way of becoming a goat in my own life you know i'm an athlete at my heart and and i do think that athletics there's something maybe survivor based there you you're willing to go through a whole lot of pain um, I was an Olympic hopeful ice skater. So you're really willing to go through a lot of pain and a lot of discipline. And I think that helped save me as well, because I had this um, get outside, breathe fresh air, um, be comfortable being alone, try to figure that out. Your insecurities are just omens. They're like signposts directing you into its opposite. And so practice the opposite don't stay stuck in your sad story you won't go anywhere bitterness eats the host whatever was done to you it's yours now it's yours now to fix it doesn't matter how you got it make those people accountable but you have to decide that you're going to be great at being you got to be great at something to get out and stay out so be great at being you Awesome. That's a great place to end it. But I had one more question that sprung up. What are your thoughts, Dr. Sherry, on, you know, some people think about cutting ties and it's this long-term thing and they're maybe not ready to do it. What are your thoughts on maybe cutting ties short-term or in other words, just saying, you know what, I just need a year or maybe, God, maybe it's even a week. I just need a week of just, I just need some space instead of cutting the tie and not coming back to it. What are your thoughts on like a more uh, intermediate approach? Is that a thing? Is it smart? It's something to avoid? What it your depends on, on the level um, and scale to which the person is toxic, right? It's all on a spectrum. Someone with some level of self-awareness will be able to hear that and, and maybe respect that. But what I have found is that the moment that a toxic parent loses control, they go into overdrive and they involve everyone. They don't even want to take the risk that you actually have enough space to see even more of what you're seeing now that's causing this. The whole thing is don't expose. They don't want to be exposed. I think it's better to gray rock and have more contact um, than it is to say, I want a week, I want a year, because they'll just get into the victim role and they'll cast themselves that as the smear campaign. And then they won't be calling, but your family members will. Mm -hmm. Why are you doing this to your mom? Do you have any idea how much you're hurting her? Why do you need space? Right? It's like, it's like, you can't, it's like leaving a cult. You're not allowed to expose what's on the inside, just like a cult. I would recommend anyone who has toxic parents to watch Scientology in the aftermath with Leah Remini. I was blown away. Now I'm a shrink. I love that kind of stuff anyway, just learning about the criminal mind or whatnot. I'm addicted to law tube, like I'm not well. But that was like, I had to take notes. I was like, oh my God, the similarities were nauseating. Now I, I'm educated formally. There's things about cults that I think are even more, more powerfully manipulative, but whew, it's, it's not easy. And you have to be, you really have to be you, you've got to want more than just relief in your life. You deserve happiness. You, you made it all this way. And you can, even if it's low contact or cordial contact, allow your caller ID to be an externalized immune system. <laughs> if the cancer is coming in and you're like, oh, I can't do it today, just don't. You know, and then maybe, maybe feedback with the text so that you keep the peace. But know that you're gray rocking and why you're doing it. I treat a lot of people whose parents are in elderly care. And they really can't <laughs> cut ties. Uh, there's a dependency at that point, right? There are many ways to, to maintain yourself. Boundaries should always really be invisible. They're internal. They're not external in the upside down. Out here, we try to make them very external and seeable. But really, in any world, your lived experience is inside of you. 
And so you have to determine your mindset on what you're doing in any type of relationship you're in. Awesome. What a great place to end it. That's great. I love it. Very good. Okay. Listeners out there, they want to be heard. They're like, man, I like this stuff. I can relate to it. Which book would you say to go to first? Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I, I mean, I think adult survivors of toxic family members is where they're where the real healing begins because mm-hmm. it's after having cut ties but it's your family is all the chaos that you experience trying to define your world so depending on where you are if you've already cut ties you really don't need all the different definitions and what about acceptance what about forgiveness all that's and but it's your family um i wrote but it's your family in eight weeks um I wrote adult survivors over a year. So it just has a lot more meat, more depth. Um, it just depends on where you are in your healing. But I would also go listen to my podcast because I didn't even want to do a podcast. <laughs> Honestly, I, I just was like, I don't know what that skill set is. And um, I, I just am blown away at the response to the podcast. I just had no idea. Um Turn your predators into your purpose. That's what I did. Um, listen, learn, grow, practice being you. You know, I, I would probably start depending on where you are. You know, if you're in the beginning, start with, but it's your family. And if you're already through it, go to adult survivors because it's a phenomenal path. Well, Dr. Sherry, thanks for doing this. Congratulations on your new, on your new book. Congratulations Thank on you. all your success. It's really fun to chat with you today and to research yes. you for the last couple of weeks. I just appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much, DJ. I appreciate you being brave to have a topic like this on.